Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm so glad that you're tuning in today. Today, I'm joined by Zach Schreier, and Zach is the founder of a company called Quavos. You might have seen that as featured on NBC's Shark Tank. And today, Zach and I are going to discuss how he maintains his health and fitness as a entrepreneur, in addition to sharing a little bit of information about his health and fitness companies. He's got some really interesting, unique stuff going on, and I'm excited to kind of put him in the spotlight for today. I know you're going to love this episode, so sit down, relax, and enjoy the show. Zach, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to work with you today, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. For people who aren't familiar with you, or maybe they haven't seen that TV show Shark Tank, uh, would you mind kind of filling them in about who you are and all the amazing stuff that you've been doing? Yeah, of course. Uh, so basically, my entrepreneurial journey started in middle school when I was diagnosed with diabetes, uh, type 1 specifically. And that basically put me in control of my health, um, even though I didn't really want to be in that position as a, as a kid. Um, and for, for those of you who don't know, uh, type ones have to basically account for the carbs that they eat. So it's not about avoiding carbs. It's just about counting your carbs and then doing the appropriate amount of insulin to, uh, address that number of carbs. And, uh, so low carb snacks are really a boon for type ones. So that led me and my best friend from growing up to create a chip made from egg whites. That's called Quavos. Um, we took that to Shark Tank and got a deal with Daniel Lebetsky. Uh, spoiler alert, I guess I should have said. Yeah, so uh, uh, happy to dive into th to more of that story. Uh, but currently, I'm actually working on another product. Um, we basically are doing supplements that support uh, metabolic health and specifically fasting. So you know, we realized that a few different things. One of, one of which was that uh, you know, while supplements are great for all sorts of purposes for daily performance and long term health, um, you know, most people don't want to really add a bunch of powders and pills to the, their life. You know, like you have to go out there and procure your own stuff and uh, mix your own potions effectively. And so uh, we, we decided to make uh, supplements much more intuitive by creating delicious products that have, you know, functional benefits. Um, and that, that was with uh, Life Stacks, correct? Exactly. That's Life Stacks. Um, and so that's the venture I'm currently working on. And uh, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about anything that you um, that you think is interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's such an incredible journey, Zach, especially for someone who's relatively young overall. Um, that's interesting, too, that you got started in the entrepreneurship at a young age there. And it sounds like you took something that happened to you and you said, look, this is not going to define me. This is going to actually help me create my path forward. You know, you uh, were living a life that a lot of Americans, millions of Americans actually live having to, uh, you know, keep track of blood sugar and blood glucose levels and adjust with insulin levels and adjust with carbohydrate intake on the daily and it can be difficult, I'm sure, to you know regulate what you're eating and how it's going to impact your blood sugar, especially when some of the you know more enjoyable things in life, like chips and ice cream, tend to be the ones that give us the most difficult from a blood sugar level. So I really love and respect how you you know took something that's a problem and kind of created a solution to it, for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um... Yeah, as you said, I mean, the, uh, some of our favorite foods are the ones that uh, do the most damage. So I'd say it's a combination of, you know, um, basically learning the way in which these foods affect um, the body and then then having the right sort of interventionist framework for addressing that, like, and preemptively, hopefully. So uh, basically, you know, it's it's a, a balancing act of, of carbon take and insulin offset. And the issue is those foods that you just named, 
rapidly deposit glucose into the bloodstream, but insulin, in, injected insulin takes a long time to, to work. And so you get this huge sugar spike if you're not careful, um, and then potentially a, a plummet. Um, and both of those things are dangerous and you know avoidable um, if you time your insulin right and you buffer your carbs the right way. So one thing that's really important is high fiber and high protein. Um, at, basically, as you're as you're taking a big bolus of carbs, you want to make sure there's other nutrients in the mix to slow the absorption of those carbs. So that's one thing Quavos really has going for it. It's low carb, high protein, high fiber. So it's a, like my sugar just stays perfectly flat when I have it. Um, yep. So yeah, great for diabetics, uh, type one and type two really. Yeah. Tell me about Quavos a little bit. How did that get started? I mean, were you just kind of playing around in the kitchen one day with egg whites and you eventually found a way to make like all these different, like, you know, honey, mustard, cheddar, barbecue, sour cream and onion chips with egg whites uh, as opposed to like um, potatoes or how did that really get rolling for you? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was a, I was a picky eater growing up. Um, it, even after I was diagnosed, it was, uh, that was tough because I was restricted to a, a pretty small subset of foods. Uh, but eggs were definitely top of the list for for me. And uh, I, even though I was picky, it was pretty experimental. So I would do things like, you know, I would take like mozzarella cheese and I would microwave it. Or um, I would take, I would, as I cooked eggs, I would like notice that those, those crispy pieces on the side of like the omelet could be like fried or baked or microwaved and like made into like, you know, crunchier, drier, um, uh, like basically chips. So I discovered that pretty early on, like maybe in middle school or early in high school, and then didn't really think much of it. But then about five years later, just as I was heading off to college, uh, the keto wave was kind of actually really coming on pretty strong. And, uh, you know, that summer I was I was coaching some kids and running, but otherwise not doing that much. And I was just like, let's let's bring back the, the egg white chips. Um, so I called up my best friend and we basically started working on that product. Um, it sat somewhat dormant for another year, but then he um, he went to U Chicago and he took that idea to the undergraduate incubator there. Um, and they're really great. It's a great ecosystem for for growing companies. Uh, so people were enthusiastic about the concept. Uh, the product was coming along, and basically the, the rest is history. We uh, we both took a year off of school. Actually, he's continued to stay off of school indefinitely uh, since then. Um, I went back to school after I sort of did my role, which was develop the the product in the manufacturing process. And then uh, shortly post-graduating, that's when I turned my attention to life stats. That's awesome. That's a really cool journey. Um, and you shared a lot of amazing things that I want to dive into in that little bit there. Um, so first off, as you mentioned, you know, the journey of entrepreneurship in order for you to uh, succeed, and I would call you successful because at least by, you know, the Shark Tank definition of success, not everyone who goes on that show gets any kind of investment at all. And you did. Um, so what did that take for you to, you know, get to the point you are today, Zach, you know, what did it take for you to succeed? Was there early mornings, late nights, or was it pretty smooth sailing and just kind of work when you wanted to? Yeah, that's, that's a good question for sure. Um, you know, on this point about success, I, I guess I, what I'd say is there's still a lot of work after the show, um, you know, to make that, you know, it's not, it's not like that, um, the, the sharks are are buying, you know, a guaranteed win, right? Um, they're, they're taking a bet also. And so they've got a portfolio of companies, um, most of which probably fail still, and <laughs> some of which succeed and make it all worth it. Uh, that's sort of the, the venture model. Um, and I think the sharks are a little more conservative than, you know, your your venture group, they're not expecting a 1000x return, it's maybe more like, you know, five to 10x that they're looking for. Um, so most of their investments probably do okay, um, or at least some of them enough of them to make, make it worth it. But yeah, there's been a lot of work um, since then since the show. But um, 
you know, I, we were lucky, very lucky to, to, uh, to do well on the show uh, because, you know, a poor performance or an embarrassing slip up or something like that, that'd be tough. Uh, that would have stayed with us for a long time. So we knew going in that it was a liability for sure to go out there and, you know, basically expose ourselves to 5 million Americans and, you know, kind of roll the dice and see how we did. Um, but fortunately the Sharks were in a great mood and I think they liked our chicken costumes. And <laughs> you know, at that point we had a, we had a pretty well-developed business and a clear sense of where we had been and where we were going. So I think, you know, just the, the cohesiveness of our, of our story and presentation helped. Um, but yeah, no, I, I feel very lucky. Like I, I wouldn't ro- want to roll the dice again um, and take another chance at a stage like that. Yeah, no, I can imagine. I mean, were you nervous going into that or? For sure. Um, something I, I often do talk about that I'm not really supposed to talk about is that we actually spent, um, we, the, the previous year we actually gone out to the studio to tape. Um, but there was basically a backlog of, of people on that very first day of filming. And so they said, Hey, come back next year. Um, yeah. Uh, so we, we had spent basically all week, all day kind of preparing ourselves, um, to, to go on, go on Shark Tank. Um, you know, I had, I had taken God knows how much caffeine that day. Um, and of course, like suffered through all the, the sort of pre-race jitters, um, for, uh, that year, 2019. And then, um, you know, when 2020 came around, we had a much stronger position. We'd done a lot more revenue. Uh, the product had improved a lot. And um, we also prepared more. So I think we were pretty poor, poorly prepared for 2019. But in 2020, we really did did what we could to, to kind of get in the mindset and make sure our answers were very tight. Yeah. So that, that was a blessing uh, for sure. And I think it probably took some of the jitteriness out of that second, that second go. I love the fact that, you know, as you were talking there, Sometimes a door closes on you when you least expect it. You know, opportunities don't always present themselves uh, when you expect them to. And that seems to be have been the case for you with that first time with Shark Tank. But you didn't give up and you didn't just walk away just because, you know, the first uh, opportunity didn't go the way you wanted it to. You kind of continued to persevere, I would say. Um, and I see a lot of overlaps between your own journey and what a lot of people see in their own health and fitness journey, right? You know, they go out and they start doing something and maybe it doesn't go their way from uh, day one. You know, maybe it starts a little bit rocky and they kind of have to come back and continue to revisit it a few times before they actually get what they want out of it, I would say. I was I was a runner in high school. Um, so that was something that definitely impacted the diabetes. Uh, I actually took it up initially uh, for two reasons. My sister had done it and she liked it and met people. Uh, the second one is that uh, exercise is great for insulin sensitivity. So, you know, I just knew that that would be a way for me to sometimes have some carbs, uh, you know, in formats like ice cream and pizza and whatever, um, but also stay metabolically healthy. Um, and you're you're 100% right that it's, it's a journey. Uh, it's not something that you, you know, you practice a few times and all of a sudden you're, you know, at the top of the game. Uh, that, that was a lesson that, that running definitely taught me. Um, and actually, uh, I'm not sure how technically you want to get here, but, um, I think there's some really with, with most areas, including entrepreneurship and, and running, there's kind of a, a, a core, um, dynamic underneath what's going on that is, um, portable, meaning you can take that, what you learn basically and apply it elsewhere. Um, with running, basically, I think what we've got here is, um, a homeostatic adaptive system. So homeostatic in the sense that it self-maintains um, and the, the, the goal is basically to uh, preserve capacity and adaptive in the sense that once the system is exposed to stress, 
it basically realizes that in order to maintain homeostasis, it's going to actually have to improve its capacities. So it responds to that stimuli, um, that, that, that stressor or whatever it is, the running um, or the lifting by actually adding capacity in order to maintain homeostasis. Now, if you continue just to, to basically expose yourself to the same stimulus over and over again, um, then whatever adaptations you got the first few times you did it are going to basically uh, deplete over time. So you're going to get, um, you know, uh, um, decreasing marginal benefits from every single session of the same intensity. So what you got to do is, you know, take that new fitness level, expose yourself to a stressor that is, you know, basically one step past where you're at. Um, so that's sort of the balancing act. Now, I think most people in America have the sense that um, you're, th that means going 100% uh, right. basically in, in your sessions. And it's actually much better to, to go 90% or 80% 80 uh, more of the time um, than it is to go 100, drain yourself, recover, call your way back to the capacity to do another session, do it again. It's kind of like, you know, the, the, the more adaptive route is to just stress the system in a way that spurs adaptation, not, you know, overload it and then force it to recover for a long time. Right, right. Sometimes less is more. And as you were talking there, I was just having like flashbacks to the last time I was reading some of the Tim Ferriss books there. Um, I think Tim Ferriss does a incredible job of mastering what we call the minimum effective dose, which is essentially what you just outlined is you want to do enough to improve, but you don't want to do too much to the point where it leaves you burnt out, exhausted and not wanting to do any more. And I think that's true for any walk of life, whether it's fitness or entrepreneurship is ultimately there's this almost like therapeutic window, I'll say, kind of relating it to pharmaceuticals now um, is with pharmaceuticals, there's a therapeutic window for everything. If we give too much, we start to get side effects that we don't want. But if we don't give enough, we don't get any effect. So we almost have to find that kind of like Goldilocks sweet spot in the middle. Uh, and I would say the same for fitness and entrepreneurship, right? If you're going in for a workout or a run or whatever, and you constantly redline it to the point where you're just so burnt out and exhausted afterwards that you don't want to come back and do another one, then you're going to experience, as you mentioned before, Zach, diminishing returns. Same thing for entrepreneurship, though, I would imagine. And you can speak more to that than I can. But I would imagine if you woke up every day and you just went from sunup sun to sundown, uh, working your tail off the entire time, you would probably burn out or, you know, in some way burn out uh, rather quickly. Whereas I'm sure you probably went at it with a little bit more of a plan, a little bit more of a strategy, and you probably had some element of balance, not to say you didn't work hard. I'm sure you had a lot of 12, 14, 16, maybe even 18 hour days, but I'm guessing you probably balanced how often those were. Yeah, that that's that's for sure. Um, I, well, I totally agree that that just you know, especially if you're sacrificing sleep, um, then you're likely to burn out. So that that's that's the thing for me that um, I try not to let the entrepreneurial activities uh, dictate at all. You know, I, I I don't want them interfering with getting enough sleep so that I can continue you know operating at at um at my peak capacity. Oh, sorry, my dog's here. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's definitely crucial to um, not overwork yourself in a way that's going to be able to take away from your your future capacity to do work. Um, I, by default, I'm sort of a I'm sort of a lazy person. Um, uh, but um, my way around that is to basically engage with projects that that have, you know, that, that allow me to contribute um, in a way that feels meaningful and engaging, um, but that's also productive. So. Um, for me, that's, that's product development. That's, that's sort of the creative aspects. That's the strategy. So for, for me that, you know, that's, that's closer to like play than it is work. 
Um, so that's the sort of thing where, you know, if you can find something that's, that is play and not work, um, but that does get stuff done, um, then you can do that 12 hours a day, no problem, and have it add energy instead of take it away. So that, that's why I like to work. Um, for me, that, that means usually like day job is kind of the entrepreneurship side of things. And then the, the uh, and um, especially the, like the to-do list happens during the daytime. Um, and then at night, I'm basically thinking about the businesses um, rather than like sort of thinking through the day-to-day activities of the businesses. So I think that's sort of like that balancing act where, you know, I just get to let my mind kind of go wherever it wants to with respect to the businesses. Um, uh, that actually ends up adding, uh, it, it allows us to work smarter during the days because we end up cutting a lot of the, um, of the sort of crap that might have otherwise, um, you know, uh, occupied our attention. Um, because it's like, you, you want to sort of switch between these views of like what's really immediate and, uh, you know, why you're doing what you're doing at the highest level. And then often if you're focused enough on why you're doing what you're doing at the highest level, you'll find that you actually want to go a different route than you were going. Um, but if you didn't spend that time to reflect, then you would have just worked dumb uh, for, you know, extra days and weeks even. Um, so th- I think that sort of process allows me to feel like I'm not doing that much work, but still get a lot done. Yeah. At the end of the day, you do what you love and you love what, what you do. Um, and I think that's the ultimate key to success, right? Well, happiness, I should say, right? If you don't like what you're doing, maybe you're doing the wrong thing. Um, but that that's a separate conversation. Um, so as you just alluded to, you have busy days from, you know, the morning all the way to the evening. And there's a lot of work that has to get done, especially when you have not only one, but two companies that you're working on right now. How are you able to maintain health and fitness, you know, during your day? How are you able to fit in like your workouts, keep your sleep schedule? Yes. Um, it, the, the type one definitely does impact the day to day. Um, you can almost think of it like, um, like, uh, you know, for somebody that's obsessed with checking their email, it's kind of like an extra email that you're kind of obligated to check uh, a lot um, and often respond to. So th- there, there is a lot of sort of bandwidth that's dedicated to uh, managing that. Um, you know, for, for people that have the continuous glucose monitors, uh, as I do, I, I find there is such a thing as too much checking. Um, and I'm definitely guilty of that right now. Like too much of my attention goes to basically getting, getting those numbers um, because I'm curious and I want to know where I'm at. But it's better actually, I think, to check, make a decision, and then put it away uh, for you know an hour or two at a time instead of checking every five minutes. Um, so there, there is a yeah, it's, it definitely plays in. Um, but uh, you know, at the same time, I think my my I've kind of got like this um, OCD ADD type uh, attention. So I'm sort of entertained by having a bunch of streams um, of like little things that I get to micromanage. Um, so. It's it's a it's balance. I I would like to sort of clear my plate a little more and have fewer of these things that I'm sort of hyper vigilant about. Um, but I, I think it, it you know do, does serve me that that that's sort of entertaining to me. Um, you know, it's better than being totally um, better than really dreading the management side of things, which I imagine many diabetics do. Um, now, yeah, in terms of um, uh, long days and staying healthy, staying fit, uh, one thing that I've been loving, and I'm curious to hear your opinion about this, is intermittent fasting. That has been an awesome consumption structure for me. I just basically, you know, get up, have my coffee, um, take my supplements, do my work. And then by like two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I could break the fast right now. That seems, that seems reasonable. Um, but it's just like, I don't have to worry about that for so much of the day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's definitely something I've implemented in my own life. I actually started uh, my freshman year at college. 
Um, I started with the little zero fasting app and I was just doing a basic 16, eight. And, you know, I still do it to this day. I think that keeping some kind of consistent flow to um, your overall eating structure in general uh, does a lot of amazing things for yourself, you know? So every day I know at some point between 11 AM and 1 PM, I'm going to have my first meal. And I know at some point between 5 PM and 7 PM lately, I'm going to have my, uh, you know, my larger meal of the day at dinner. And, you know, that's not something that I would say everyone has to do. And, you know, if you're going to look at implementing fasting, I would imagine it's best to, you know, consult with your primary care provider first, because, there's a lot of different effects that it has and a lot of things to consider, but I've certainly noticed benefit uh, from my own end, uh, utilizing that approach for six, seven years now. Crazy to think it's been that long. It's, you know, just part of my life at this point. Um, how does that uh, work with the type one diabetes, Zach? Is that something that actually helps regulate your blood sugar level or does it cause a little bit more spiking or what do you see on your end from your own data? Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it, it helps me regulate my sugar uh, by basically decreasing the uh, the complexity or the interference um, from the intake of carbs. So it, almost like imagine that you're you, uh, you're flying a plane at like 100 feet off the ground. So it's like this is a precarious situation that, you know, you can't you can't go to zero, um, uh, but you don't want to go high. Also, you want to stay at that level. Um, every time you have carbs, it's like a huge gust of wind that pushes the, the plane up and you have to then like push the nose back down with insulin. Um, and so like you can imagine if I'm not having any uh, any food at all for from say eight or nine o'clock at night to two or 3 p.m. the following day, that whole window, there's no gust of wind that have to be addressed by insulin um, by pushing the, the nose down. So it, yeah, it really does smooth things out for me. Now that said, um, we have a steady stream of wind or of glucose that's being deposited into the bloodstream at all times. And then we have a steady amount of insulin. Uh, I'm talking to, uh, I'm talking regular people, not, not diabetics here. Um, then we have a, a stream of insulin that's released from the pancreas to offset that, um, that, uh, that amount of carbs that's being put into the bloodstream. When you're carb depleted or when you're basically, um, when you're fat, thoroughly fasted, um, uh, uh, then basically that, that, that the carbs being deposited in the bloodstream are, are going to, uh, there's gonna be a few, uh, basically less impact from those. Um, there's gonna be fewer of those. And also your insulin sensitivity is going to turn up. So me meaning insulin's going to go farther. It's going to have a bigger impact on pushing sugar down. So what that ends up meaning is when I fast, I have to use less insulin. So that's something that diabetics absolutely have to know, um, before they would, uh, before trying something like this, it's very similar with like a uh, long, slow aerobic activity. Um, you know, if you're going to go for a five hour walk, you have to know that basically your insulin sensitivity is going to go up and your sugar is going to go down unless you decrease the amount of insulin you're using. Um, so for, for that reason, because of the, the complications around that, uh, most people probably avoid doing, you know, extreme sports or doing crazy diets when they're, when they're diabetic. Um, my, my view on it is that we, um, we just like everybody else, we should care about insulin sensitivity. We should do what it takes to basically sensitize ourselves uh, to insulin. Um, and that means exercise and it means, uh, you know, controlling consumption. Um, it's asking is a great way for me to do that. So I prefer to basically just preemptively um, adjust uh, my own, um, you know, use of insulin rather than restrict myself from these things that I think are useful interventions.
Right. Now, do you do your exercise, your workouts, your runs? Are you doing them in the fasted state or are you doing them in the, you know, eating window, I would say, or how how does the, you know, your physical activity mix in with that? Yeah, more and more now I'm liking uh, exercising fasted and then breaking the fast shortly after. So usually that means during the day around lunchtime, I'll go out for a short run. Um, and then the weekends in the in the morning, typically I'll do my longer sessions. So I, I quite like um, uh, this is not something I'd recommend for for um, for runners that are only a few years into their running career. But basically, I discovered that um, I, I would get benefits from doing back to back big sessions and then taking a, a long time to recover from those. So, you know, historically, the wisdom is basically hard session, easy, easy, hard, easy, easy. Um, so you, you space out your hard sessions, basically. Uh, but then if you look at, you know, the top athletes, they're doing hundred to 130 miles a week, um, of running. And what that means is they have to go long every single day. So how do you get from, you know, short, short, long slash hard, short, short, long slash hard to, you know, long every single day, sometimes with intensity. Um, I think basically the, the key is to do blocks where you're exposing yourself to this higher level of um of stimulus uh, so more mileage for two days in a row and then back off let yourself recover um so that that's I, I, at this point i like to take saturday and sunday and do kind of a back-to-back longer session uh but then during the week during the oh and, and that means I've, I've fasted a little less as well so like maybe i'll do that at 10 10 a.m to to 12 um and then i'll eat uh, uh yeah that's that's sort of how i do it do you fast um and exercise well. Yeah, so I do um I do a little bit more strength training myself and um uh, instead of the running and I usually do that in a fasted state myself. So I wake up in the morning, I get my strength training done and then I go throughout the day. Um and I know there's, you know, conflicting evidence on how much strength you can actually build while you're in a fasted state. Um but so far for me, I've been able to get stronger uh while not necessarily, you know, loading up and crushing seven or eight meals a day. Um, and I've been able to maintain low body fat percentage while maintaining high muscle mass, um, which at the end of the day, that's all I want to do in my life right now. I don't need to, you know, find my way onto a bodybuilding show or anything like that. And, you know, I don't think most people want to, you know, be the number one power lifter or the number one bodybuilder. I think the majority of people just want a healthy, fit, active lifestyle at the end of the day. Um, so I think it's something that can certainly help to facilitate that a little bit better. Um, now you were mentioning with the uh, running there that you've kind of worked up to the point where you're now doing two heavy sessions back to back, and then you kind of mix in heavier or lighter ones during the week. And as we were talking earlier, you know, we talked a little bit about the overlaps between fitness and entrepreneurship and how it can be kind of difficult to burn the candle at both ends, um, you know, for a prolonged period of time, I'll say. But I would imagine there's probably a time when you kind of had to do that. There's probably kind of a time where you had to sleep less. You had to give up a little bit of free time or going out with your friends or doing things that you enjoy in order to get the business to where it was today. So would you say that you've kind of had, you know, periods, I wouldn't say every day, but periods of time where you had to do the same with your business and you had to put in the late nights and the early mornings and more of like a 20 or even 24 hour day or a hundred plus hour work week. Um, in order to get it to where it is today, as opposed to, um, you know, again, we said before about it's good to keep a balance with things, but sometimes that scale has to tip in order for you to get that next big breakthrough that you want. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I that, what you just described resembles most of that year I spent working on Quavos. Um, uh, I took a gap year actually between sophomore and junior year of college to work on the business. Um, up to that point, you know, from freshman year of high school to sophomore year of college, running was like that was my, you know, be, be all end all and I'll be all. Um, that that was everything to me, uh, and I dedicated a like you know basically I would even though I was I cared about school and spent a good amount of time on it. Um, it was like you know, lower on the priority list than like getting my runs in and, and getting my sleep in for running. Um, and when I took that year off, uh, to work on Quavos, I basically had to running, had to take a total backseat. So I was, I was up to, you know, 80 or sometimes 90 miles a week. So that sophomore year of college, um, and had worked up over those six years to that point. And then during the, the year I was working on Quavos, um, uh, that probably went down to anywhere from 10 to 30. And I went into that, like year basically saying, okay, this is now taking a backseat. It's no longer my priority. My priority is to get the business off the ground. Um, and so, yeah, I knew that. And I, I didn't, you know, I didn't force my schedule to, com to comply with my running uh, desires um, sort of the other way around. Um, that said, I, I really haven't had periods in my life when, when I am sacrificing sleep for, for, uh, you know, months on end. Um, you know, certainly there's been all nighters, um, uh, a, lot, a lot for actually like paper deadlines in, in college. Um, uh, uh, for the business, you know, definitely late nights, definitely early mornings, um, but uh, more intermittent. And I definitely do like to thoroughly recover, um, you know, between stretches where I'm uh, slightly overworked. You know, I think it's it's just like exercise and, and fitness where uh, you're borrowing against your future self um, the more you feel like you're exhausted. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's not usually my style. Um, uh, that said, I, I'm, I, I would say uh, I spend a lot of my time thinking. So walking and thinking is sort of like my evening activity. Um, so I don't usually put my stuff down. It's not like I, you know, shut my computer for the night and then I'm, then I'm done working. Um, so I think that's the way in which, you know, I can sort of balance work and, and play um, just by like basically relegating the things that feel like play later in the day and feel like I'm enjoying myself. Um, but yeah, they end up being, I could probably count those as long work days. <laughs> I like that answer, Zach. And I appreciate your honesty and transparency uh, with everything so far. Now, we've talked a lot about, you know, your journey. We've talked a lot about physical health. But one of the things we didn't quite touch on yet was things from a mental side. And I would imagine entrepreneurship and maybe, you know, telling your parents like, hey, I'm going to take a little time off of college to pursue this entrepreneur journey or, you know, getting rejected the first time you tried to go on Shark Tank, like, those are all big mental challenges. So how are you able to keep yourself kind of in a good mental mindset throughout this entire process, I'll say? And how are you able to navigate, you know, the obstacles and hiccups that certainly come up uh, across your journey? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, there's definitely been some times uh, that that have been difficult. Um during that year, I spent working on Quavos. There, there was there was a stretch there, um, maybe nine to eleven months in, where uh, I, I was felt like it was a long road ahead, um, <laughs> and I was definitely craving more um, sort of social interaction. You know, I was only maybe nineteen or twenty that year, um, and it felt like it felt like um, I almost described the business as like a, a game of Catan or or Monopoly, like playing out over the course of months. So you make a move. And it takes you a lot of time to make that move and a lot of dedication. And then you have to sort of wait and see how the environment or the other player responds, um, like also over the course of weeks or months. So it just felt like, um, you know, I really, 
I was impatient um, and I wasn't quite ready to be an adult and I, I wanted things to happen faster than they, than they, um, than they do. Um, so I think one thing that's helped is I've definitely tempered expectations since then. I'm thinking more in terms of years than months uh, for like, you know, how quickly these things grow. Um, that, that helps. Um, you, we've had some, for both businesses, for Quavos and Lifestacks, had some uh, some long delays on things like production and sourcing ingredients, um, uh, you know, getting into distribution channels. And now, you know, three months, even though it's painful, seems like a doable amount of time to sort of be in like prep mode for something. Um, so I think that's one thing that's that's helped. Um, now that said, I mean, I, it would be quite boring to wait for a long time if there wasn't things that you could do in the interim to like make the chances of things going well higher. Um, so it's good to have like, it's good to sort of like, uh, know which plates must be spinning, um, know what the priority is for which plates get your attention. Um, and then as soon as you've cleared your plate, uh, you're clear, clear, I'm mixing metaphors here. As soon as you've, um, as soon as you've been able to like set one thing aside or put one thing in motion, then figure out what makes sense to do, you know, as that's coming to fruition. Um, so yeah, I guess it's some combination of, of patience and sort of, um, and, uh, kind of like eagerness to to keep keep moving on things that you can move on definitely and i would say you kind of alluded to to almost like a maturity aspect as well because you were very young and energetic when you got started and i'm the same way myself and we want to go at a million miles an hour sometimes and you kind of quickly realize that not everything can happen overnight and not everything should happen overnight. Sometimes the best things in life are the ones that take a little bit of time to work up to, you know, the things that require more sacrifice. And I would say at the end of the day, you end up falling in love with the journey and the process more than the end result. Obviously, you want the end result to be favorable. Um, but, you know, there was a uh, there was a quote that I was uh, pondering recently from Jocko Willink, and he was talking about the myth of Sisyphus, which for anyone who's not familiar, uh, Sisyphus is a uh, myth or legend of this individual who has to wake up and push a boulder up top the hill, and um, it rolls back down every time he gets to the top, and then he has to start over and over and over again, and he just keeps pushing the rock, pushing the rock. And um, Jocko Willink was talking, and he was like, you know, if the rock ever stopped at the top and didn't roll back down, eventually I would push it back down myself and then start over because once you get to the top, if things don't change, you're just static, you're stagnant. And that's, that's not how life works. That's not how entrepreneurship works. As you know, Zach, um, you have to constantly be doing something. And if you fall in love with the process of doing something and making improvements day after day, and that gets you all that much more uh, closer, I'll say, to where you ultimately need to be. Yeah, yeah. Th there's a really interesting trade-off there. Um, one other thread that sort of kept me going for these uh, years is, uh, um, I'd say my thinking sessions at night are a mix of the business and philosophy. So uh, definitely, um, and not the kind of um, semantic philosophy, more like uh, scientific um, integration. So how do we take, um, as um, there's a, famous 20th century philosopher, Wilfred Sellers, who's often quoted as saying philosophy is about uh, uncovering how things hang together. Um, and what that means is taking the scientific image that we're accumulating via science and uh, basically reconciling it with the manifest image, meaning the world as it appears to us. And so I, I find that that whole um, area of thought really interesting. You know, how do we understand our situation 
basically, uh, using the insights that, that we now have available to us. Um, and there's, a, there's sort of a translation issue. You've got this theory on paper that describes um, some, you know, somewhat opaque phenomenon in the world. Um, but somehow what that's talking about is like the stuff that you're made of somehow or the, the energy that flows through you um, or like the way your cells work. Um, and so, you know, how does that relate to our view of what's going on with us? Um, and should, you know, to what extent should it relate to our view of what's going on with us? Um, you know, similarly, like uh, neuro, neuroscience and uh, sort of uh, phenomenal, phenomenological psychology. So the what you know, the sort of study of the brain and also this view from inside that we have um, that must be a view from inside the brain. Um, but it's not clear, like, exactly how that view would be generated. Um, you know, what what is the signature of an experience? Um, that's still an open question. Um, oh, I bring this up because... Um, well, in, in this sort of grappling with philosophy, there's an interesting, it's very much process oriented. And a lot of discoveries are just about doing that process better. But then it also seems like there might be sort of some ends, uh, some like rock at the top of the hill kind of moments where as soon as you get the rock at the top of the hill, it does just sit there and it doesn't like, maybe maybe there's another hill that you then push that rock up. Um, but there, yeah, it's sort of interesting uh, trade off between like, having activities that are oh that sort of evergreen where you can just keep working and keep making marginal improvements and things that actually sort of finish um and i've been thinking about that some and i'm not quite as well read into philosophy as you are zach um i definitely have a lot to learn about some of the individuals that you mentioned um but that's the kind of stuff that keeps your wheels turning mentally and i think that's an essential thing you know i think a lot of people like the mindless activities of today's day and age and that, that's not to say that they're bad by any means but it's always interesting to kind of ponder the deeper side of things as well yeah for sure um with respect to sort of today's mindless activities how are people feeling you know i think not that well uh overall like um and it, it may maybe a matter of sort of like these uh it's much easier to service the lower levels of maslow's hierarchy needs than it is to service the higher levels and so you've got companies coming in and just captivating our attention at these low levels um, you know, where they, they know how to make a scroll. Um, and that is, I think that is actually crowding out our, um, tenants or our eagerness to live more rich lives, uh, more engaged lives. Um, if we didn't have all this stuff that was distracting us, we actually would be forced to figure out what the hell to do with our, with our time. Um, that's kind of, um, yeah, that's, uh, I've think about that too. Like, I think we, this might, I hope this is growing pains and I hope we, uh, figure out how to put our phones down and, and engage uh, in the world. Um, you know, I think I think this is there's some loneliness that's uh, that is being generated by the current context. You know, I like to say the hardest things in life are done the least, yet give you the most. And everything that we've talked about today, from what you just mentioned, of you know putting the phone down and actually engaging with people and having real conversations, all the way up to physical exercise or intermittent fasting, which is ultimately one of the best forms of discipline practice we have to today. Um, all the way up to entrepreneurship, all of these things that we've discussed are very rewarding in nature, but they require sacrifice. They require you to give something up. There's always an opportunity cost to every action or inaction that you have. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, I would say it's totally worth it. You know, it's totally worth it for me to, you know, get up at 4.30 in the morning and go to the gym and get a workout in as opposed to get, you know, seven and a half hours of sleep instead of seven. Like for me, that is a sacrifice I'll make every day. 
Um, again, that's not the easy choice. It'd be a lot easier for me to roll back over in bed, flip under the covers and stay there for another hour. Um, but nothing worth having comes easy, as they say. Uh, do you have any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks on anything that we've discussed as we start to wrap up here today? Yeah, well, you know, I'd love to tell you a little bit about uh, this product here. Um, uh, I think you should you should order some for uh, your fast and see if it helps. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, tell me a little bit more about LifeStacks here, Zach. Yeah, well, let me ask, uh, do you take MCT or anything like that when you fast? Um, I have used coconut oil in the past, yes. Cool. Okay, awesome. All right, well, for the audience, I'm not sure if this topic's been covered, um, <laughs> but basically MCTs are medium chain triglycerides as opposed to the longer chain triglycerides that um, that we have from regular fats. Uh, that means basically they end up being broken down more easily. They don't have to go through extensive digestion like regular fats do. And so they act as a really great substrate for brain and body fuel uh, rapidly. So they, they shift you into this ketogenic mode where you're burning fat, basically. Um, so many people use MCT to facilitate fasting. It sort of works in synergy with metabolic pathways around fasting. Uh, and so what we've done is we've put together a stack of MCT, and uh, really premium nootropics and adaptogens designed to deliver all the energy um, and enhance the metabolic benefits of fasting. So basically, you take this, you add it to coffee, um, take a scoop of coffee in the morning, and you just feel really good, smooth, um, clear-headed, um, and you don't think about food. Um, so we, we think it's a really nice way for people that you know want to get into fasting to give it a shot. Um, and if you are fasting already and you're looking for a performance boost, something to maybe make your workouts go even better when you're fasting, uh, this, this is it. Awesome. Now, say you're like me and you don't drink coffee, Zach. What should I do? Yeah, we're, we're working on some solutions for, for folks like that. Um, uh, you know, the, the added coffee occasion is very interesting to us because coffee is um, also synergistic with the fasting, uh, with the benefits of fasting. So it's got a thermogenic effect um, that basically allows you to burn a little more fat. Um, it's also got the, those polyphenols, uh, like from, from the, the coffee itself. Um, and those are uh, supportive of like the health defense systems that you're activating when, when you're fasting. So we, we do like coffee. Um, and also, you know, added coffee is interesting because, you know, Americans have obviously established coffee as the kind of like go-to energy occasion during the day. Like that, that is the nootropic that everybody's already having uh, for the most part. Um, and so we wanted to basically uh, piggyback on that occasion, you know, basically enhance that occasion, make it more functional. Um, uh, and, you know, further your fast even more. Um, but uh, there's, well, I guess, uh, stay tuned. Maybe in about three months, we'll have a, another product for you that's an add water product. Awesome. I'm uh, excited for that. I would be looking forward to that there, Zach. Um, do you have any other takeaways that you want people to remember about your journey or the success that you've had with Quavos or any other things uh, that we shared today, Zach? Well, uh, one last thing I'd say is that... Uh, at LifeStacks um, and you know, in our personal lives as the as the, the operators of Quavos and LifeStacks, we really do want to take a holistic um, mindset when it comes to building our lives. So you know, for us, that's enough sleep, whether that's seven or seven and a half or eight or eight and a half. Um, it's the nutritional support. So actually eating the right things each day. It's the exercise. Um, it's, the, it's the focus on the long-term vision and implementing that each day. Um, but you know, our, I guess our, our view is to basically treat the, the process as the outcome. So, and how can we how can we basically um, you know live uh, uh, expand our, our capacity um, and use that capacity well? Um, so that's sort of the name of the game. Um, and you know, our hope is that the products that we're making at LifeStacks are going to help you do that. So maybe add some willpower to your day, make it easier to uh, achieve your your fitness and health goals, um, and also help you get stuff done. Um, 
because we all need to get stuff done. That we do, as we've discussed at length today, Zach. Um, Zach, for people who want to find out more about you personally, or maybe they want to find out more about Quavos or Lifestacks, where can they find more about all of, uh, well, both you and your businesses, I'll say? Yeah, um, I don't sustain much of an online presence uh, <laughs> other than for the businesses. Um, and that's just for, uh, you know, personal um, health uh, sake. You know, it's just um, uh, definitely easier not to have an extra thing to, to manage. Um, so, but you can find info about Quavos at Quavos.com, info about Lifestacks at Lifestacks.com. Um, and then we are also on Instagram. I believe it's uh, underscore eat Quavos on Instagram. And Lifestacks, I think, is Lifestacks Performance. Um, on Instagram. Awesome. Uh, and then one other thing to mention is that we're doing a try before you buy it offer on this MCT uh, at a coffee product that I showed you. Um, and what that means is you can go to the website right now, add it to your cart, have it shipped to you for free. If you like it, you can keep it and pay. And if you don't, then you just return it. You know, we're, we're confident enough that people benefit uh, from this product tremendously. And so people are going to end up keeping it. So we want to give you the option to, to you know, try it risk-free. Awesome. That's uh, really good stuff there, Zach. We'll link to all of that below in the description. So if you didn't quite catch it, you can just click there and check out Quavos. And um, you could also check out uh, Lifestacks. You can check out their website, social media, all of that below. Zach, really appreciate your time today, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening and I'll see you next time.